Well, before we begin, I meant to announce this earlier, but many of you know the email went out. But um, Beulah Patton, who was a member here for many years, uh, went to be with the Lord uh, this week. Um, she moved up to Madison several years ago, or that area, and uh, we've been in contact with the family. I'm not real sure what happened, except for the family has told me that there were health and memory decline, um, and her funeral will be tomorrow. Uh, up there in Madison. So please do be in prayer uh, for the Patton family. All right, well, we are looking this morning at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. We're going to be completing the book of Ephesians pretty soon, just in time for Advent, uh, as we head into our celebration of the Lord's first coming and His anticipation of the second. This morning, we look at the relationships between bosses and employees, something that affects most of us. Um, Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that your word doesn't change, And that its authority uh, over our lives and our faith is sure and certain yesterday, today, and forever. Because it is your word. We pray that by your spirit you would help us. uh, Lord, grow us in your grace. Nourish our faith as we cast our eyes once more upon our Savior. We pray for your anointing in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've been talking about different relationships over the last several weeks. We looked at the relationship between spouses, husband and wives. Then we looked at the relationship between parents and their children. Paul is going to conclude this section of Ephesians in which is called the household codes uh, with the relationship between slaves and masters or for our application, employees and their bosses. These three relationships were created by God. uh, That of um, marriages, that of parents and their children, and that of uh, us being in authority under those who are our bosses in the workplace and in life. God created these things, but they're hard. They're hard relationships to navigate. They're hard relationships in which we find ourselves constantly seeking the Lord's forgiveness and wisdom of how to navigate our different emotions and expectations within the marriage and the, uh, within the home with our children grown and, and in the home and as well as the workplace. Indeed, in the workplace... We're often exposed to and are working alongside people who may or may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're actually coming to the table with a whole different set of presuppositions and different values, which makes it pretty hard to know how to navigate those things and to walk faithfully as believers in Christ. The things that makes those relationships hard, even though they were made by God, is that we are all sinners, right? You show up at work and every one of you is a sinner. And you know what happens when you get sinners together? Terrible things. <laughs> That's right. Opportunities for redemption. Opportunities for the light of Christ to go forward. 
And so today we're looking at this text as we navigate, as we understand what does it mean to be a believer in the workplace. But first we've got to deal with the fact that the text actually says bond servants, or depending on your translation, says slaves. And so what do we do with that? How are we applying slaves and masters to 21st century employees and employers? I just want to kind of give an aside here. Because it is common to hear folks who don't know the Lord and who are antagonistic to the faith say, I don't believe the Bible because it you know, says that you can have slaves. Well, that, I don't want to believe that. Well, I want to make it very clear that the slavery that Paul is talking about in first century Roman world is not the slavery that existed in this culture, in our country. In fact, the translators of the ESV changed the translation from slaves to bondservants from the original translation because of the American context. That we would immediately read the word slaves and we would think American chattel slavery. We would automatically think of the ships coming from Africa with two and a half or three feet of clearance with hundreds of Africans chained to each other, often never being allowed on deck for the thousands of miles journey. If someone got sick, they just throw them overboard, right? Uh, the, the incredible cruelty um, that happened on those ships and in this, in this whole institution, you will find no justification for in Scripture, period, full stop. None. Slavery in our country has and was always sin, and the church failed to speak against it, period. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Slavery in the Roman world is very different. Uh, 25% of the Roman population was made up of slaves. In big cities like Ephesus, it was closer to a third, right? Paul's not worried about changing culture at this point. All of a sudden, there are believers who have bond servants or are masters, and now they need to know what does it look like to be a Christian within this institution that was in the Roman world. It was not like our slavery. Uh, First of all, you could expect to be freed if you're a slave. You would never or rarely see old slaves because they were freed by the end of their life. In fact, 50% of all slaves in the Roman world were freed by their 30th birthday. They could own slaves themselves. They could own property. Very often, they didn't even live with their masters. Um, It was not racially based. And folks who were slaves, when they had children, they were not automatically slaves. In fact, it was often hard to tell the difference between a slave and his master because the slave would take the social standing of his or her master. And so they they would be clothed very similarly, so you wouldn't be able to tell the difference necessarily between the two. A lot of folks sold themselves into slavery because they had no food and would have served a period of time uh, and would have left uh, their time as a bond servant, actually with finances in their pockets to be able to provide for their families. And some folks even sold themselves into slavery in order to become a Roman citizen. It was one of the fastest ways to gain your citizenship in Rome. So we're talking about very different institutions here. That's not to say it was all a bed of roses. So let's not just paint this rosy picture. Right? Um, it was not all a bed of roses. In fact, the things that Paul says to the masters in this text uh, would have been exceedingly countercultural. The idea that masters had to look out for the welfare of those under their charge would have been a rather preposterous idea. 
So Paul is actually going to, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is actually going to remove all of the underpinnings long-term for the institution of slavery, whether in our culture or in theirs. In fact, Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, that slaves, if you can get your freedom, go for it. When he writes to Onesimus, which one was the owner? Philemon. Philemon was the owner of Onesimus. Uh, when he wrote to Philemon, he said, don't treat Onesimus like a slave. Treat him like your brother in Christ, like he is. Uh, Exodus chapter 21 says that if you are found in possession of someone who was stolen or kidnapped, which was the very foundation of the American experience of slavery, guess what? You were to be killed. It was a capital crime. Not just kidnapping somebody, but having possession of someone who had been kidnapped was a capital crime. Um, So Paul is going to, and the Word of God does not support the American experience of slavery, period, full stop. But about 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And so how does Paul, and what does Paul tell those who find themselves in this institution? As we think about the Ephesian church, you know, uh, 30% could have been slaves sitting in the pews next to folks, each other. In fact, slaves could have taught their masters in Sunday school. I mean, before God, there is no rich or poor, slave or free, white or black, male or female. We're all equal before God. Well, as we think about what this means to our situation, praise Jesus, we live in a society that no longer tolerates legalized slavery. And so this text applies to our relationship with our bosses and the relationship between bosses and their employees. First, what does it look like to be a godly employee? Well, first and foremost, the overarching principle that changes everything is that as we go to work, we are ultimately not serving just our bosses. We are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in three places very explicitly in our text. Verse 5 tells us that we are to may our masters or bosses as we would Christ. Verse 6 tells us that we are bond servants or slaves of Christ doing the will of God. Verse 7 tells us that we are rendering service to the Lord and not just to man. So when you show up at your work, wherever you work, wherever it is, as long as it is a godly institution, right? There are some institutions and jobs that Christians cannot hold. Uh, But unless it's forbidden by the word of God, then it is an option for believers in Christ. So whatever it is that you show up to, if you're, if you're a student at school, this is your job. This is your work in this season of life. And you may have work outside of that. I don't know. But whether you're a homemaker, right? What a, what a great job that is. And I think the hardest, right? I'm so thankful when I get to go to work on, uh, in the mornings. <laughs> and uh, Christy's there doing all the actual hard work. Um, you know, whatever it is, there is dignity to that work. Because you and I, we are ultimately serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes those jobs which have, from a worldly perspective, the least importance, the least dignity, are the most important. In my last job at Two Cities in Montgomery, I was assistant pastor there. and We were in the process of starting the church. And we didn't have deacons who showed up to, clean, to, to get the church ready and, and a cleaning service we couldn't afford. So we had volunteers come in on Sunday mornings. Well as is the nature of all volunteer organizations, you know, about half the time, the alarm clock didn't go off. Well, they forgot. 
So it was common to be preaching the same morning that 30 minutes before the service began, you were mopping the floor in the bathrooms and cleaning the toilets. Why? Because a dirty toilet is not good for visitors to return to the church. Right? That's a, that's a rather turn off. Um, it's not a glorious job, but what dignity there is. Because I wasn't just cleaning it because was, I was getting a paycheck. It's a way to serve Jesus. So no matter whether you are um, working the cashier or CEO of your company, ultimately we are all serving the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we are. And so that's got to change our attitudes. So it makes it so we can't just show up with a bad attitude like we so often do, on a, especially on a Monday morning. <laughs> Followed by, it's amazing how Tuesday is a lot like Monday and Wednesday is too and Thursday is a lot like Monday and Friday is all like Monday until about 10 minutes before it's time to go home. Sometimes we just have bad attitudes. But we're serving Christ. This, this means that there's help when it's hard. There's help when it's hard because God has put us in that place for a reason. And our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't stop when we clock in. And so when we're having hard times at work, whether we have a task that we just don't know how to do, guess what? God is the, God is the God of all truth, whether it's math or science or running the cashier or technology or whatever it is. God's the one we can turn to and say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Would you help me? Especially when the boss is on its way. Lord, I really need help here. This means we're also under the authority of God's word at work. Right? It's kind of like when we go on vacation. Sometimes we take our morality, ethics, and common sense, and any budgeting skills we have, put them in a box, and leave them by the back door when we leave to go on vacation. Well, we're not supposed to do that, and we're, nor are we supposed to take our relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ and put it where we put our time card just to pick it back up on the way out. His word, our relationship with the Lord, governs how we relate one to another in our workplaces, how we relate to our bosses and fellow employees, because the word of God is authoritative. One of the things that the word of God says in our text is that God has put our bosses in authority over us. This is stated very clearly in our opening verse, in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, this fear and trembling doesn't mean that we have to be in, in, in terror or dread of them. But it does establish the fact that our bosses really do have authority over us. You know, last week we talked about parents and children and how often when we're teenagers or were teenagers, we would sit around and talk about how much we got away with. You know, I told my parents this, and can you believe they believe me? Well, sometimes that happens in the workplace too. Look how much I got away with. Look what I got done without the boss knowing. Or at school, right? With school. There's a, a funny video that's gone viral, and it features a, a young millennial girl interviewing with an older gentleman for a job. Perhaps you've seen it. The interview isn't going well. She's playing on her phone the whole time. And, um, but especially it goes off the rails when the boss says that he needs her to be there ready to work at 8 o'clock. She stops playing on her phone. She said, I'm sorry, what? He said, I need you to be here at 8. He said, I don't understand. He said, what do you not understand? 
Well, I talk to my boyfriend until 3 o'clock in the morning on the internet, and I don't even get to Starbucks until 10 o'clock, you know, in order to get my grande chai tea latte, three-pump skim milk, light water, 2% foam, extra hot but not too hot. What's her mistake? Well, she thinks she owns her job. And guess what? Employees don't own their jobs. Bosses do. And bosses get to set the agenda. Bosses get to set how it works and how, it, how we're supposed to do things. You know, within reason, right? I mean, we're not talking about abuse here. Um, but we really are under authority. And as our, as our culture, as we have lost this idea of authority, uh, we don't like to accept the authority of those who are over us at work. So this changes how we act at work. If God has authority over us, if we are ultimately serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that we do, whatever your job is, and even in retirement, your retirement belongs to Jesus too. You're serving Him in your retirement. He is your boss. Well, it changes how we act, and so one commentator very helpfully has collected these things in this passage into three headings, which I've borrowed. And the first is that we are called to do things with sincerity. The word sincerity here, the Greek idea, is one of simple mo- or singleness, of wholehearted dedication to the task, of not pretending, of not putting on a show, not acting to do our best and to give it our all. It means to do it the way our bosses want us to. You know, every job has a part of it that's not enjoyable. Even good jobs, right? There are are things that just aren't fun with every job. Uh, But we are called to have a single-mindedness as we do our jobs, that, you know, I've got to do the things that my boss wants me to do, even the things I don't like to, with the same zeal and fervor, Lord help me, with the things that I like to do. And it's a delight when people do their job and enjoy it. I've been on, we're redoing some of our kitchen. Don't ever redo your kitchen, uh, ever. And uh, I've been on hold with Lowe's and Home Depot a good bit lately. Our countertops, never mind. Um, But there was this lady three weeks ago. I don't remember her name, but I'm talking about her from the pulpit. She did such a great job. I was on hold for 20 minutes. Every few minutes she'd come on and say, Mr. Johnson, just want to make sure you're you're still there and you're doing okay. We're, We're really working on this and we want to make it right for you. She came on six or seven times like that. And what a delight it was to get her. Um. And what an opportunity we have as believers in Christ to be that kind of blessing in whatever place we find ourselves at work. Because we're not only doing it with sincerity, but also conscientiously. Not as eye service or as people pleasers. Eye service here is you know, that idea that um, we only work when the boss is looking. The mice play while the cat's away phenomenon. You know it can be found in every workplace. It's the putting your phone in your book at school syndrome and hoping your teacher doesn't see. It's the keeping Facebook running in the background so when your boss walks away, you can swap over. It's the taking exceedingly long, uh, long bathroom breaks to play games on your phone syndrome. Right? This, this manifests itself in a lot of ways. Because you know what? We're just lazy. And, uh, and we have heart problems. And we need to be reminded that that our duty to the Lord and to our boss extends to even when he's not looking. Some of you, I've been to your offices, uh, Sean actually has a, an office that's all glass. 
How terrible is that? And his boss like sits like, you know, like what, 20 feet away from him. Um, nor are we called to be people pleasers at work. Now, it's important that we please our bosses. That's not what this is talking about. There's something very godly about wanting your boss to be pleased with your performance. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, you know, the quality not being what it should be just so that, you know, you can be seen doing something rather than the quality of your work. Um, You know, or the, I know I've failed at this part, but let me show you all this good stuff I've done. So hopefully you won't see the places that I've failed. You know, you bury that on the bottom of the stack. Thirdly, we're to do it pleasantly. Pleasantly. You know, it's amazing what having people in the office with good attitudes will do on it. It's amazing how it'll transform that place. Oh, but it's bad when you've got a Debbie Downer, right? When something's always wrong, when nothing's ever right, especially when that's your boss, that's a bad place to be. But it can make a a workplace toxic. But here's the thing, as we realize we're serving Jesus... And not just our bosses. When our bosses fail us, which they do all the time, right? When our bosses fail us, it helps us keep the bigger perspective here that, hey, you know, that, that guy, he's, he's fallen and he really made a mistake. But, but praise Jesus that, you know, he's going to help me through this day. And I don't have to be toxic to everybody else in the office this day. Take a walk if you need to. There's also a reward system here going on. We see this in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. What if you have a bad boss? I would imagine most of us at some point in our careers have had a bad boss or supervisor. It's just, it just happens. Well, this is the reminder that you know, there's a reward in your paycheck, but ultimately our reward's in heaven. As we think about the experience of slavery in our, in our country... It's not an accident that almost all the African American spirituals were about heaven. That's not an accident. With deplorable conditions, with no hope of freedom, with the knowledge that if you have children, they too will be slaves and perhaps sold away from you, our brothers and sisters in Christ and the institution look to heaven. Because while this earth can be terrible and conditions can be bad, even under a really bad boss. One day, it's going to be really good. And it gives us perspective. There is an end to it. Well, that's how to be a godly employee. What about a godly boss? He doesn't spend as much time on this one, and it makes us think that there were very few bosses in the congregation there in Ephesus. Right? It seems that there are more employees or bond servants than there were rich folks. Um, the overarching thing that he communicates in verse 9 is that masters and employers... Uh, will have to answer to the Lord their God on how they act as bosses or employers. And God does not play favorites. He is not partial to the rich and powerful. He is a God who judges justly. Indeed, throughout Scripture we see that God hears the pleas of the poor and downtrodden and speaks boldly against those who would oppress those who have no influence in society. This means that if you are a supervisor or a boss or have anyone under your authority, which at some point I imagine most people will in some way, that our call as bosses and employee, employers is not a simple one, but is one that God has put people under our care in order that we might care for them. That we are stewards of God's authority, just like we are in the home, 
stewards of God's authority over our children, we are stewards of God's authority over those under our care. And we would do well to heed the example of our Savior, the Lord and Jesus Christ, on how we shepherd our employees. You think about our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though He was in the form of God, and now count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, right? And being found in human form, He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the same one that we read in in, uh, Mark chapter 10, that the Son of Man came not to be served. If anyone is to be served, it is the Lord our God. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. How much more then, as supervisors, as those with uh, people under us in authority, are we to care for those underneath us? Now, there's, there's appropriate... Um, there are appropriate boundaries, right? That doesn't mean you have to be best friends with all your employees. And in fact, that can be unhelpful in the long term, right? It doesn't mean there's not a time to criticize or to or godly criticism or to call to account or even to fire. That's not what that's talking about either. There is real authority there. But are we concerned about the welfare of those who are employed under us? That would mean a, a, level, a, a decent wage, right? A worker is, is worthy of his wage, That means that we would care about them and their families, and we would pray for them. We would pray for them. Verse 9 tells us, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening. Can you imagine how um, earth-shattering that would have been, especially to non-believing masters of slaves in the first century, that you're to do the same to them? As everything you've just read about what the duties that slaves, bond servants, and employees owe to their masters and, and, and bosses? Well, whether we're bosses or employees or both, we are called to make our workplace a mission field. I'll share a brief story. I, um, when I first came here, not quite six years ago, I was called to do a funeral of someone that had. No connection to a church. The only connection they had to this church was one of the grandchildren had been to one, one of our youth events. And, uh, and so we were their connection. This is my first funeral, actually. And uh, it was a bit of a baptism by fire. And I, and I show up to the family. And there are about 20 people there to learn about the deceased. And I began to ask them, okay, did, did, did he have a relationship with Jesus? No. he go to church? No. Does, does, did he have a favorite hymn that we could sing? No. Do you have a favorite Bible verse? No. Did he own a Bible that I could use in the service? No. Do any of you, 20 people or so, do any of you have a Bible that I could use in the service? No. It's hard to believe in Bruton, Alabama that that's possible. But there are people like that everywhere. Now here's the thing. Each and every one of those people worked somewhere. And the only exposure that some people have in our community to the Lord Jesus Christ is through you. And and people might have no one praying for them except for you. Are there people you work with that have no connection to Jesus? Pray for them. Love on them. They may never have experienced what true godly love looks like. 
There may be times when God calls us away from workplaces. Right? There, there are seasons for that. But wherever we are, forever long we are, God has us there and has orchestrated the other people there <laughs> for your consternation <laughs> or your growth or for His glory or for their good or all the above. They are there for a reason. And if you love Jesus Christ, God has called you, He has called me, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and commanding them to obey all the commandments that I've given you. Are there people at your workplace that don't know Jesus? Tell them about Jesus. Because here's the thing. We serve a Savior who came to work. For the cross work. The work on the cross that He has achieved for you and me. There was a a debt that had to be paid. And it has been paid. We cannot earn it. Christ has earned it through His cross work for us. That if we put our faith in Him we might become children of the living God. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for your work on the cross, that through what you have achieved for us, we might have salvation. Lord, I pray that as as bosses and employees alike, Father, that you would help us to be godly at the workplace. Give us opportunities to tell others about the precious love of Jesus. There might be great revival in the workplaces of Bruton and the surrounding areas. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.